Well, good morning. My name is James Foster. I'm one of the pastors here, and I'm so excited to share with you from God's Word this morning. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Mark chapter 10. And as you do, we're closing out our fourth week of our sermon series, How to Be Rich. And I'm going to tell you about that in just a second. But first, if you guys have any questions as we're talking about this, this is a text that could have some pitfalls. There could be some confusing things in here. You could have some questions. I would love for you to send them to me so that when we do our podcast this week, it's not awkward and it's not like, well, we didn't have any questions, so let's make some up. We never do that. Um, but the, the, we don't have to, we have some great questions that come from maybe if something's unclear or maybe if it's something completely unrelated to this because this sermon is just so perfectly preached, you just uh, not have any questions, so you'd send us other stuff, okay? Uh, so part four of How to Be Rich, it's, a, it's an exciting series that we are closing out. The first week we talked about how God owns everything and I am his manager. This doesn't mean that I call the shots for God, that I manage God. This means that uh, I manage what God has entrusted to me. So God owns everything and he allots me with a small portion to steward, to um, manage. And that's what it means by I'm his manager. That's what we talked about. If you want to have more questions, you can definitely watch that week one message. Uh, Week two, my heart always goes where I put God's money. So where I invest, my heart follows. So if I uh, get a fantasy football player, I tend to follow them closer. If I purchase a stock, I tend to follow that closer because the way that we're designed, we're made to worship. Whenever we invest in something, if we put our money into something, our heart will naturally follow that thing. Three, uh, my home is in eternity, not in the temporary. Last week we talked a lot about uh, people want to set up their perfect forever home, and we get this great idea of what that might look like, but our true forever home is not here. It's in heaven. Amen? Amen. And so because our home is in eternity, not here, I'm going to invest that way. And then this week we're talking about there's one cure for materialism, and that's what we're going to jump into today as we're looking at this, this text of the rich young ruler. Now, um, as we approach this idea, though, and we're talking about is there any cure, we know that we can tend to depend on the wrong things, right? So the world would tell you, uh, you don't want to be naive, right? The world would tell you that you are the most mature when you are the most independent. Like when you're self-sustaining, you don't need support, you've got it, you can handle your own, right? That's what the world tells you, go aspire for this. But God says, you're most mature when you're most dependent upon me. And so this is countercultural. It's this new way of thinking that God invites us into uh, in his word. And it's this countercultural way of depending on God, and it's the only way we have a chance to break free from our love of stuff. Because when I talk about the wrong things, it's not just stuff, but for a lot of us, it is stuff. And so uh, for us to break free from this love of things, for this love of materialism, um, we have this cure that we're going to be talking about. Uh, but we can push that away when we fear losing what we have. So we see things that we have, we like the things that we have, and we don't want to lose them. And because we don't want to lose them, we hold them really tight, and we say, no, no, I don't, I don't want to lose this thing that I have. So uh, let me get a good grip on it. Now, uh, we had some good friends come visit us this past weekend, and as they left, we're kind of straightening things up, looking at the house. There's a, I noticed that a couple of toys are broken. And this is... What's funny is that, like, if you say, James, a couple of your toys are broken, 
I'm like, that's no big deal. That's, but like something in me, there's this fire that starts to well up and like this real anger that's directed towards a five-year-old. And I'm like, what are you doing, <laughs> right? And you can laugh at that because that's embarrassing. But it, it's that I, like I have this stingy, bingy heart, right? Of like, I, I want my stuff and I don't want it to be broken. And like, I want my kid to have good stuff. And so like, and he's like just peculiarly, delicate with all of his things. Like, I don't think he's broken anything. He's broken a few things, but not, it's very, very few and far between. And so because he's exceptional in that way, I just like assume that everyone's going to be that way and older kids aren't. And so they break things and that it happens because the toys are meant to be played with. And so they get broken sometimes and I'm still preaching myself because I'm working through it. Okay. (laughs) But we have nice things and we don't like to lose them. So when we're afraid to lose them, uh, we have this thing that starts to happen in us. And then the third thing is that we don't realize what we will gain. Uh, we push back on the idea that there could be rewards for us for doing good things, we, uh, and we trust the things that we can see. We tend to start to trust more in the things that we have than the one who gives us all that we have. Yeah. And if we realize, hey, God is generous, God owns everything, I can trust him with my things because when I live that way, I'll be able to be free from my love of things. But I don't want to preach the whole sermon right there, so we're going to move on to the next part. Let's pray, and then we'll jump into the text. Lord, we need you. We we love you, and we want you to be glorified in this time. Would you be lifted up? Would your word become clear to us in our hearts as we look at it, as we study it, as we look at a passage that could be confusing in a lot of different ways? Uh, I pray that you would help us to focus our hearts on you, that you'd help us to focus on you in this time, that you would bring up different things in us that might need to be exposed Uh, that we can repent of. Help us to realize that we have freedom in you, and it's in you alone. And I pray, uh, Lord, that as we realize how great that is, that you would just stir in us this new love, this new affection, this new obedience in us to follow you. We love you and we need you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. All right, so we're in Mark chapter 10, starting in verse 13. And this is right after Jesus and his disciples, uh, they're, they're on the way, and they get stopped by some Pharisees who are questioning them. They're trying to trap them about uh, asking questions about divorce. And so they're kind of this b- bad example of, hey, let's try to prove something to Jesus. Let's try to get him in trouble uh, by twisting his words. And then he comes to these children. And what happens when the children are being brought to Jesus? And they were bringing children to him that he might touch them, And the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, Let the children come to me. Do not hinder them. For to such belongs the kingdom of God. This word for children, it's uh, paedis. And basically what it means is uh, anything for anyone from an infant to a 12-year-old. Kind of a generic age. There's a big age range there. Um, The disciples are going to rebuke them because they're trying to protect Jesus from, he's got limited resources, right, in his time and his ministry. They're trying to protect him. Children aren't seen as like the most valuable thing in this culture. They're, they're kind of expected to be kept in the back, kept quiet, um, and for them not to cause any interruptions. And so the disciples uh, trying to stop them, it, it, it made sense. It was maybe a little bit appropriate in this time for this to happen because they weren't seen as significant in this culture. 
But Jesus doesn't see the way that the rest of the world sees. And when he sees families bringing kids to him that he might touch them to confer a blessing upon him, um, something that's cool about Jesus in the, the book of Mark especially is that every time it says he touches someone, they leave better than they came. Uh, so for him to bless these kids, it's a big deal because they're going to leave better than they came. So they're going to have this blessing that they're going to receive from him. Uh, and it's traditional for you to maybe bring kids to a rabbi uh, for them to pronounce a blessing on them. Um, but it's this really special thing that they're doing. And when I see Jesus's reaction here, it, it should cause like some, it should open your eyes. Because when we see Jesus gets angry at something, we say, okay, I want to avoid this thing at all costs, right? We see that Jesus was indignant that his disciples tried to decide who could and who couldn't hear the good news, who could and couldn't have access to Jesus. He gets furious because he knows that you don't see these guys as valuable, but I do. The children are innately valuable, and even more so, he says, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. The children have this humility, this dependency that the Pharisees didn't, that the rich young ruler we're going to see in a minute doesn't. They have this attitude of dependency that everyone needs to learn from. And, um, and when I see do not hinder the children, uh, we, we don't ever want to get in the way of someone having access to Jesus. Practically, what does this mean? This means... Um, we have a lot of slots that are open for you to serve in WB Kids. Joseph just talked about it, right? And we don't want to hinder the children from hearing the good news. We don't want to hinder them from coming to Jesus because uh, we aren't serving. So we should make sure that we remove any obstacles and maybe pray about serving in children's ministry. Cool. Verse 15. Truly. Whenever Jesus says truly, it's uh, amen is what we what is transliterated as now, but it's like this big pronouncement is coming. So listen up, don't miss this. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. So big pronouncement, you have to receive the kingdom of God like a child to enter it. This uh, receiving like a child, it's this acknowledgement of, hey, I'm humble, I'm dependent on you, I bring nothing to the table. It's not like God chose me because I'm great. God chose me in spite of me. That even though I bring nothing to the table and I'm just depending on him completely, he calls me to come to him. And this is this beautiful picture of this is how we are saved, that we have this humility, this dependency, that we know that we cannot enter on our own merits, that we could never do enough good works for us to enter the kingdom of God. Um, and then <clears throat> he blessed them. So he laid his hands on them. Uh, this is like what a father would do to their children. Uh, he's praising them. He's setting them apart. He's asking God to bless them. Uh, and it's, it's very much a fatherly moment with Jesus and these kids. What we see here is that Jesus' followers depend like a child. Uh, Jesus' followers depend like a child. The way that we are to come to Jesus, the way that we are to follow Jesus, is this dependency this, I bring nothing to the table, I need you, just like a child, okay? And the point even sounds like an insult to us, because in our culture, we're like, I don't want to be like a child. But there's this beautiful thing of this humility of acknowledging, hey, I don't bring anything to the table. 
that allows us to receive the kingdom as we ought. And um, this, this way that a child has this simple trust, trust is exactly what Jesus calls us to. This is what faith is all about. Um, this week, our kids were uh, sick. We had the visitors came, broke all our toys, uh, also brought some sickness. Uh, no, they're good friends. They'll, I'll tell them to listen to it. It'll be, it'll be good. Uh, so they, they brought this sickness into our house, and we're still trying to shake it. We're still trying to fight it off. But our kids have been extra dependent this week on mom and dad, mostly mom. Katie, way to go. Uh, Katie's been a hero in the household this week, uh, extra needy kids, uh, just because they, they realize all the more their dependency, their need, where they're not okay with us walking away from 10 feet for a few seconds to grab something. Uh, they need to be right there with us the whole time, which is kind of exhausting, but it's a great picture of how we should live our life of faith, that we shouldn't be letting God out of our sight, that we should be crying out to God of, hey, I need you in this moment for me to follow you. And what I think that happens for us is that the American dream gets mixed in with our faith, and all of a sudden we're walking out our faith in a way that doesn't depend on faith, but it's all on our own strength. And this isn't the way. This isn't the way that we're called to follow Jesus. Um, one thing specifically with our kids that we've had to do is the nose Frida. Any nose Frida champions in the crowd? Yeah, pretty helpful. You, you know, the, you've got the snot sucker, the straw that you attach, you put it in their nose. We filled up like half of one with ACE last night. And the thing with the nose, Frida, is that no kid is like, give me the nose, Frida. I want it, I want it, I want it, right? They're like screaming and kicking and pushing you away. But then afterwards, they're still angry for a second. And then a few seconds later, they're like, hey, I can breathe. Hey, I can like sleep again. Hey, like, this is way better. Why didn't we do this a long time ago? And so if you can get through that suffering, you can realize that there's this great, this other thing that's way greater that we as parents can see that our, child, our children can't. And that's exactly how we're called to follow our Lord. That even when we, it doesn't make sense, even when it's frustrating, even when it's difficult, we say, okay, Lord, I can trust you with this even when it's painful. Because I know that you're good. I know that you love me. Amen? Um, I, as a kid, I got a bunch of splinters growing up. And I used to hate when my dad would, like, get in there and cut them out, right? Like, there was nothing in me that would want to receive that. And, and so recently, I had a couple of splinters. And instead of, like, thinking back to, like, okay, it's going to be more pain now to, like, get in there and, like, cut that thing out, uh, I was like, you know, let me just, like, kind of halfway do it, and then I'll get about my day because I've got a lot of things to get done. And what I forgot from growing up is that, like, if you don't get that thing out, then it's going to get swollen and it's going to be way more painful in the long run if you don't take care of that thing right away. And so in the same way, uh, you've got to submit and say, okay, let me get the help that I need so that I can get the healing that I need and so that I can, let me be helpless in this moment so that I can follow you fully, Lord. And so we see that Jesus followers depend like a child there's a lot of things that can get in the way of us depending like a child, and we can often depend on the wrong things. We're going to look at a couple of the wrong things that we can depend on with the rich young ruler here. As he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. There's this rich young ruler who runs up to Jesus he kneels down before him. 
So he's in this like eager position to learn. He's in this humble posture of, I want to learn. He says, good teacher, which he doesn't realize the weightiness of that phrase. And Jesus is like, hey, no one calls, no one is good except God alone. He's doing two things with this. No one is good except God alone. He's saying, you're not that good. And don't call me good unless you're ready to call me God. See, the rich young ruler was counting on good works. And he wasn't as good as he thought he was. Um, and so Jesus is kind of exposing that. He's asking about eternal life. What must I do to inherit eternal life? There's something wrong with the rich young ruler that even though he's following a lot of rules, even though he's living in a pretty good way, he's missing this. He's insecure about his salvation. He's insecure about what he needs to do because something's lacking in his spiritual walk. So he's running up to Jesus. He's kneeling before him. He's asking this question. And then Jesus says, you know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he said to him, teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. He's, Jesus gives him the second half of the Ten Commandments. He, he's going to list out all of them for, for him. There's one that's going to stand out if they know the law like he should. Uh, do not defraud is not part of, the, part of that list. So what Jesus is probably doing here is uh, he left out do not covet, which wasn't something that the rich guy was probably struggling with, being jealous of other people's good stuff. But he was defrauding people. So rich young rulers in this day and age were known to uh, be rich because they were exploiting their lower workers and not paying them what they should. And so because they weren't paying them what they should, they were defrauding the uh, workers that were lower in the working class, and that's how they would accumulate more wealth in this time. And so he has this great confidence. Teacher, he dropped out the good real quick, right? He's like, I'm, I'm done with that. I'm not going to say good teacher again. Teacher, all these I've kept from my youth. He, he really believes that he's kept the law perfectly, and he, he's blind to it. The same way that we're blind to our own sin, right? We can see other people's sin from a mile away, but we, we miss our own sin, right? We, we think that we're perfect, and we, we highlight and accentuate what everyone else is doing wrong around us. He's, he's saying, nah, he thinks that he's perfect. And the reality for this is the reality for all of us is that none of us are righteous, not even one of us. And so if we're counting on good works, we're going to be sorely disappointed because that's going to be exposed. That if, if we want to be judged by the law, great, we're going to fail every single time. We can't keep it perfectly, especially not from our youth. Uh, and especially not, he's, in, he's implying that he's probably exploiting some workers, uh, but not necessarily saying it outright. But there's a bigger commandment that the rich young ruler is disobeying that's going to be exposed in this next part. And Jesus said, looking at him, he looked at him and he loved him. There was this great love that Jesus had for the rich young ruler. In the book of Mark, this is the only place in this book where it says that Jesus loved another person. Obviously, we know that Jesus loved more than this, but it's interesting that this is the only place that we see Jesus has this great love for a person written by Mark. And he said to him, you lack one thing. Go, sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. The rich young ruler was disheartened by the saying. He went away sorrowful, 
because he had great possessions. Jesus loved him enough to expose the truth. We, in our culture, we can say, if I love someone, I'm not going to tell them something different from what they believe. Jesus loved him enough to expose, hey, you're self-deceived. And I'm going to, in my love for you, tell you the truth. He said, you lack one thing, and then he tells him to do five things. The rich young ruler came asking what he must do to be saved. This is the wrong question. Uh, it's not about what we do. It's about who we believe in to be saved, right? But Jesus says, I'll meet you where you're at. I'm going to give you some things to do. Why don't you go sell all that you have, give to the poor. You're going to have treasure in heaven. Come, number four, and five, follow me. That's a lot of things for him to do, right? But what he's doing with all five of those things is he's exposing, specifically for the rich young ruler, the one thing that he didn't have. The one commandment that he was breaking that was going to keep him from entering eternal life. It was going to keep him out of heaven, it was going to keep him from really knowing and following Jesus. And that was that he loved his money more than he loved God. What he was looking for when he came to Jesus was like a three-step plan. Just let me make these tweaks here, here, and here, and then I'll be good, right? What, what do I need to do, Jesus? And Jesus said he had, the, he had the ability to read minds to know, hey, this guy loves his money more than he loves me. I'm going to expose that because I love him, and I'm going to call him into something greater. And so um, one of our post-sermon podcast questions has already come in from first service where it says, is it, why doesn't this apply to all of us? Well, this isn't, this isn't how we are to be saved. We're to be saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. So if God could read our mind, I'm sure he could and he can, and, and was speaking to us in this moment. He could expose something in us that we should do, that we should leave, that we sh- is causing us to not follow him. And if that's the thing, I'm confident that God will use uh, this message, that his spirit will stir in us, that as we're in community, he'll use us to sh- talk these things, to speak the truth in love, to help sharpen each other, to help lead us to love and follow Jesus more closely. But this rich young ruler had a very specific command for him himself, that he needed to go and sell all that he had, that he needed to give to the poor, trusting that he had treasure in heaven, that he needed to come and follow Jesus. He needed to forsake his treasure so that he could have the real treasure in Christ. And what, what I love is that Jesus meets him where he's at, and he says, hey, you're living for the dot. Like, you've got a lot of great things here. You've got great possessions here, and you're living for this tiny dot right here. And that you don't know that this line, it extends into eternity. And I want you to live for eternity. And you're not going to be able to do that if you love your stuff. And this should, this should cause us who have a lot of great things, maybe cheap toys that get broken, it should cause us to pay attention and say, is my trust more in my stuff than in my God? And am I willing to suffer now for a greater glory later, for greater treasure later. A lot of us have great possessions, great things. And and we also have, Jesus has this love for us that he wants to call us into something greater. He wants to expose that thing that we love too much. And so what, what does all this mean? This is our second point, that Jesus' followers do not depend on riches or on good works. We are, 
we, we're not to depend on riches or on good works. And what this can look like for us is that we can be very comfortable because we get a lot of great things and we could be very cozy with those great things. And we can take the faith out of the equation to where we're living uh, with our own self-sufficiency. I got this. I'm taking care of me and I, I'm giving. Lord, I'm, I'm willing to give. I'll, what, what do I need to give? Just let me do that. He's saying, don't let anything rise up to be your God other than me. And um, if we're depending on riches, we're, we're only going to be sorely mistaken because we'll never have enough money. If we're depending on riches, we're never going to be satisfied. Uh, and, and so uh, I have some quotes from some rich people because I'm not, I'm not rich. So maybe you'll, you'll believe them uh, more than you would believe me. But Riches will not satisfy. And so the, the cure to materialism that Jesus gives the rich young ruler is to give and to trust that God is going to provide what he needs. To give, to sell all that he has, to trust, come and follow me. To get, he gets to walk with Jesus. And so what are, what are these rich people quotes? Uh, John D. Rockefeller, richest American of all time, at least... Uh, he used to be. I'm not sure if he still is, but uh, they, a lot of people consider that he was based on inflation and such. Uh, he said, I have made many millions, but they have brought me no happiness. Henry Ford, you know, the Ford guy, he, he says, uh, I was happier doing a mechanics job. Recently, uh, the guy who made uh, Minecraft, uh, Marcus Person or Pearson, um, he sold the company for two and a half billion and he said, I have never felt more isolated in my life. John Jacob Astor, uh, he was the first multimillionaire in the United States. And he said, I'm the most miserable man on the planet. Money, we've talked about this. It's amoral. It's not good or it's, it's not bad. Money, the, the love of money is evil. That's what it is to be repented of. If you're just chasing money, you are not going to be satisfied. Uh, and <clears throat> this story stands out like as a stark contrast to the other stories, right? Of like the widow with the two copper coins that where she put them in and Jesus saw it and he said, this woman has given more than everyone else because she gave out of her poverty where everyone else gave out of their abundance. Where Zacchaeus, when Jesus speaks to him, when he's in the sycamore tree, he says, come down. And Zacchaeus, like spontaneously, this thing stirs in him of like, hey, I've defrauded people and I'm going to pay them back four times what I stole from them because I've wronged them. And, and he didn't have to be asked to sell anything, but Jesus gave him this great confidence that he had salvation, that he had shown that he was with Jesus, that his first dependence was on Jesus and not on his stuff. And as, as we depend on good works, um, the, the rich young ruler, he didn't acknowledge like, hey, I'm broken, I'm messed up, I've got sin and it's an issue. He said, no, no, I, I've kept all these from my youth, I'm good. And because he didn't think he was that bad and because he loved his stuff more than he loved God, he had to walk away sad from Jesus. And I, I mean, man, we don't know the end of that story. There's nothing in that story itself that tells you that the rich young ruler would come back one day um, I have trouble believing that he didn't come back one day, that, that he wouldn't say, like, that this was like the idol being exposed moment, and then there's some mystery there, 
that I'm not necessarily going to spend a lot of time on. But I, I would say that if you see Jesus face to face, you know that he loves you. He's inviting you in. How could you say no to that? Um, and so the cure that Jesus gives a rich young ruler is giving. It's the only way that we have to get free. And we have to realize that wealth accumulation can hinder us from kingdom participation. As we get a lot of good things and we have a lot of security and a lot of comfort, it's easy for us to set a budget and forget it, for us to give and for that to not be a spiritual experience. And so don't love stuff. That's what we learn from this, this. Don't love anything more than you love the Lord, especially not stuff. There's some extra barriers that might come from accumulating great things. But don't love them more than you love God or more than you love people. It's ridiculous to get mad at a, a five-year-old for breaking a toy for playing with it, right? And, and you should repent from that, James. You, there's some repentance that needs to happen of like, I can't love this stuff more than I love these people. And so as God calls me to give something up, am I willing to do that? Am I willing to loosen that grip of money and realize that God has entrusted me with a great stewardship that I get to walk with, but I should not worship? Okay, so we see that um, we should depend like a child, not on good works, not on money or things, but what should we depend on? And that's what we're going to see in this final section here. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said to them, again, children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. Jesus looked at his disciples. They're all blown away that this rich man would walk away, that Jesus would call them to, to do something great. And the problem was that they saw, the same way that they saw the child, the children, as insignificant, they saw the rich man as significant. They saw, and in this time, it would be normal for you to see somebody who is blessed, who has a lot of good things, and for you to assume, man, this person must be really holy. They must be obeying God a lot, because look at all the great stuff that they have. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. It's not as it appears. My kingdom is not as it appears. You... It's going to be difficult for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. There's this phrase that keeps getting repeated, to enter the kingdom of God, to enter the kingdom of God, three times in these, these verses, and it was already alluded to with the child of, of the way that we should enter the kingdom of God. And they're amazed because they thought that the rich people were blessed, that they were closer to God, and they're actually further from, there's more obstacles there. He's, he calls his disciples children, maybe reminding them of the way that they are to receive the kingdom. And there's this idea of when you're comfortable, you might not recognize your need for God. When you're rich, there's going to be more obstacles for you to realize, hey, I need God more than I need stuff. Amen? And he says, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Uh, some people say uh, there's like a little text variant here where camelos is changed uh, from like an I to an E-like letter in camel. And basically it changes the meaning from camel to rope. Um, those are in the less reliable manuscripts. Basically what some scribes might have done is seen where it says camel through the eye of a needle and said, eye of a needle, that's really small. Camel, that's really big. This can't be it. Let me change that to rope. Rope through the eye of a needle. 
But the whole point of this, what Jesus is saying is that it's impossible for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. It's impossible for anyone to enter the kingdom of God on their own. And they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, then how can we be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with man it is impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. With man, we're saved alone, by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. The only way that we can be saved is by trusting in Jesus Christ. That on its own is not something that we have in us. God has to open our hearts to draw us to know him, draw us to trust him, draw us to love him. And that's why it's impossible with man. But all things are possible with God. So if you have people that you're praying for that you want to be saved, only possible with God. Keep praying, trusting that God can do the impossible. Um, I'm going to go share the gospel with someone on their deathbed this week. I've heard that uh, this person's a bad man, been an alcoholic for over 40 years. I was like, I know just a guy that could rescue even the worst of worst from their sin. And I would hope that as I go in and talk to this guy, that God would open their hearts to see and that there, there might be less obstacles because they're not rich. There might be less obstacles where they can realize, hey, I have a great need. I'm dying. And this Jesus thing might sound pretty great right now. And so I'm praying for God to do the impossible before I go and have that conversation. Verse 28, Peter's having a great Peter moment here where either he is saying like, hey, uh, I need some encouragement because we, uh, we've left everything to follow you um, and we're, we're worse than the rich person, so I, like, give me some encouragement. Or he's saying, hey, Jesus, look at us. Aren't we great? We, did, we already did the stuff that this guy couldn't do. Isn't that great? And he's saying, see, we left everything and followed you. And he's looking for encouragement. Jesus could have rebuked him for this, but he's going he's gonna to give him what he needs. He's going to give him the reassurance. He's going to graciously speak to him here. And he says, truly, p- pay attention, listen up. I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sister or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life but many who are first will be last and the last first. So what's Jesus saying? He's saying that here's this list, house, your possessions, you might find some security in that. You're not just going to be the the kingdom, the gospel. In following Jesus, you might be asked to give up your house. You might be asked to lose a brother, to lose a sister, to lose a mother, to lose a father, to lose a child, to lose land. For Jesus' sake and for the sake of the gospel. These are a lot of things that are visible things, tangible things, things that we could love, right? Things that are normal for us to love. I would say that we do love all of these things. And Jesus is giving a hard saying, saying, do you depend on any of these things more than you depend on me? Because we don't have room for that in the kingdom of God. Are you depending on your house, your brothers, your sisters, your mother, your father, your children, or lands more than you depend on me? Because that needs to go away. For his sake, he might call us to live in a way that we lose them. So what does that mean? That means that like um, a friend of mine, Swami, he 
uh, trusted Jesus a few weeks ago, about five and a half weeks ago, he trusted Jesus. And I was talking to him about, let's go and let's share with your roommates. Let's go and talk to him, tell him the good news about what's happened to you, what's happened in your life. As he goes and shares that with his roommates, there's like this new distance that has been inserted in their friendship to where they're playing games, he's not invited. They're doing social things, he's not invited. He's lost for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of following Jesus, for the sake of being faithful. As I talk about Jesus with my family who doesn't know and love and trust Jesus, there's some distance that that gets inserted in those relationships. But if I love them more than I love my God, then there's a problem. Because this life-changing reality of Jesus that he came, he rescued me, he saved me when I had nothing to bring, that's changed my life. That is the most important thing in my life, and it has to be the most important thing in my life. So Jesus is calling the disciple to trust him that this is actually the most important thing in your life. Do you believe it? Amen. And what's amazing here is that he promises this incredible return on investment. He promises a hundredfold now in this time, and he repeats everything in the list. Houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, children. He doesn't repeat fathers, which is interesting. Some people say he's probably alluding to you have one heavenly father. I don't know. Could be. Sounds great. Uh, But the big point is that he's going to return all that we lose times 100. Like any stock investors, that's a great return on investment, right? 100x, let's take it, right? That's, That's an amazing return. But, he, but it's not like, and when, is that, when does that return happen? In this time with persecutions. There's going to be suffering here too. So in this time with suffering, but also in the age to come, eternal life. So we have great blessings now that we receive because of forsaking all else to follow Jesus. And in the future, we receive the same things even, and even more so. An eternal life. Can't trade. That, that's a great trade, right? Yeah. We'll take that every time. But many who are first will be last and the last first. It's this upside-down kingdom. And Jesus models this perfectly by going to the cross for us, that he who knew no sin will become sin on our behalf so that in him we might have eternal life. We might become the righteousness of God. We can have this peace with God through what Jesus would do, that even though he's king, he would take the punishment that we deserve. And so the third point that we have is that Jesus' followers depend on God and God alone. There's no room to trust in other things, y'all. So stop. Stop trusting in anything but Jesus. Amen. It's just going to let you down. It's going to disappoint you time and time again. And if you're rich, a great way for you to do this is for you to give, for you to give away what you have. And as you do that, you loosen the grip on it, and you see that God returns things and more, and you see this incredible thing that, like, God's word is true, that he loves to bless us as we faithfully follow him. And yeah, we're going to suffer and it's going to be hard, but he's going to bless us and we're going to depend on him and him alone. And we can't do that if we're so safe and secure with everything that we have that we aren't living by faith. You with me? So as I lose friends, uh, do I believe that God is going to reward me now and in heaven for everything that I lost? Absolutely. There's no question in my mind that as I Like my number got blocked by a person this week from sharing the gospel with them. That's going to happen. I'm going to keep sharing the gospel. And I'm going to maybe think about maybe strategic ways to not be blocked as quickly, right? But I'm going to try to, I'm going to try, I'm going to keep sharing the gospel because that's the only hope that I have. 
It's the only hope that any of us have. So if you realize that, will you depend on him and him alone? Um, so big question today. What are you depending on? Are you depending on your money, your stuff, your family? If there's any, your good works. Um, if there's anything that you're depending on more than Jesus, you consider if that thing has been exposed, when we have the prayer team come up in a little bit, consider coming up to pray with them. Confess your sins to one another that you might be healed. Consider coming to pray. Share it with your community group shepherd. Share it with people who love you, who know you, who can help you to love and follow Jesus more. If you're here and you're not a Christian, the way that you start depending on God is you trust in Jesus, that he lived the perfect life we could never live, that he died the death that we deserve on the cross, and that we can have eternal life by believing in his name. If we place our trust in him, it's going to look different for each of us. There's going to be different things that get exposed, but it, it looks like going all in for the gospel, saying, I'm yours. Everything that I have is yours. Expose all the things so that I can repent of all the things so that I can follow you all the more closely. And if you're here and you're a Christian, does your life reflect dependence on Jesus? Are there other things that you're depending on more? Like whether your Robinhood app is green or pink or red when you open it up, right? Are, are there other things that give you more joy and excitement? And what, what can you do to put those in their proper place so that you can trust that we're going to have this great freedom in loving God more than anything else. And the way that we do that every week, the way that we remember that every week is with communion. And so there's a, a cup in front of you. If you're a Christian, go ahead and grab that cup. This is a family activity for those of us who have trusted in Jesus Christ, that we get to remember what Jesus did for us on the cross. I'm going to talk about communion, so don't, no worry, no rush, no race. It's okay. We, we got a minute. We're going to take some time to confess before we take it. But what we, what we have is communion, this great picture that Jesus, he came, and on the night that he was betrayed, as he's lived a perfect life that we could never live, he went to the cross. Before he went to the cross, he was with his disciples, and he took the bread, and he broke it, and he said, this is my body, broken for you. I'm willing to break my body that you might have peace with God. And he took the wine or the grape juice. He said, this is my blood, the blood of the new covenant shed for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So what we do as a family is we remember Jesus's sacrifice for us, that we can depend on him because his blood washes us clean. That he's the only way we have righteousness. He is our only hope so we can depend on him and him alone. We're going to take the next 30 seconds to pray and confess. So go ahead and pray. Ask God uh, to forgive you of your sin, anything that you've done this week, anything that you need to confess. Imagine for a second what it would look like in your life if you really believe that you have a rich, rich dad, that your heavenly father has everything, and that the riches that he has for us far exceed anything that we have right now. And it's not just in this moment, in this dot, but it's in the line that extends into eternity. Imagine if you lived and give 
like you really believe that, it would change your life. It would change the way you love. It would, it would change the way you are generous and not upset when small things are broken that can be replaced that you didn't even probably buy in the first place, right? Like the, the toys that were broken, we didn't buy. They were gifts to us. So everything that I do have is God's. He's a rich dad who wants to give me all the more. I got to trust him. So if you're depending on anything other than him, repent of that. Turn from that. Love him. Trust him. He is worth it. He is better. I love you guys. You're sinned.